dynamic diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic magazine We're all different but we can learn from each other Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered. Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, the law may not change hearts, but it can restrain the heartless. Dynamic speaks with Maurice Tomlinson about why visibility is liberty and why it's so critical. As Maurice Tomlinson puts it, the law is no silver bullet. However, where there is discriminatory legislation, visibility campaigns done by any minority group are at risk. It is not a secret that contact and conversation are the best ways to eradicate xenophobia, but without legislation providing a means of legal recourse, advocates are at risk. Dynamax speaks with the international renowned LGBTI activist Maurice Tomlinson as to why change legislation is necessary. Okay, so the first question I have for you is where are you from and how diverse was your community then compared to where you reside in Canada now? I am from Montego Bay, Jamaica, um, and I. <laughs> what did I tell you? How diverse is it compared to? Where, where I am you reside now. now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very diverse at all. Um, it was monopoly or monolithically black, <laughs> um, with the occasional white tourists, I suppose. In terms of trans persons, we never saw those. In terms of um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, we knew they existed, but they certainly weren't as visible. Um, so, I would say that Jamaica is, or certainly Montego Bay, is 180 compared to Toronto in terms of visibility and diversity. Okay. And why did you choose a law by, and by extension to a legal and social advocacy? I t- chose the law because I wanted to be rich. I did not choose the law to do social justice work. I did a first degree in history, and um, I did my master's in business, and I hoped to make a lot of money and retire wealthy. However, I found very soon that my work as a corporate lawyer was not very fulfilling, um, and I volunteered to do advocacy with some LGBT groups, such as JFLAG and Jamaica Aid Support for Life, to do their corporate work as a way to, I suppose, salve my conscience. (laughs) But um, I eventually realized that they needed help with human rights 
training for their um, clients. And I did some reading up on that and did a few courses, and that kind of transformed my my outlook because then I realized how sheltered and privileged and um, arrogant I had been, and I realized that for the majority of Jamaicans, it didn't matter that I was a middle class, you know, professional gay man. All they saw was gay, and I could be experiencing the same kind of violations as many of the persons who I was helping by providing uh, advice to. At the time, it was pro bono. So I kind of transitioned from corporate law into um, into this work. I mean, the irony is I was trained as a corporate lawyer. I w- I'm actually an uh, um, intellectual property lawyer by training, which is probably the furthest you can get from human rights because I was... <laughs> trained to support big pharma and big organizations defend their expensive patents. Um, so that was where I was trained. But now I'm working for persons who you know, are struggling to defend their rights, persons who live in sewers, that sort of thing. Because I realized, quite frankly, there but for the grace of God go I. All right. Okay, and tell us about the anti-gay sodomy law in Jamaica, what it speaks to, and why you felt the need to challenge its legal premise. Okay, so the law in Jamaica is an 1864 British colonial imposition. Um, It has three sections, section 76, 77, and 79, which criminalize all forms of intimacy between men, even if in the privacy of your bedroom. And... Um, you know, things like two men kissing in the privacy of the bedroom could get them prison sentence. And when they come out, the law was updated in 2012 to require now that they must be registered as sex offenders and they must always carry a pass. And if they do not have this pass, they must pay a $1 million fine. Plus, they must spend up to 12 months in prison for each offense of not having their pass. So the law makes criminals out of consenting adults um, and what they do in the privacy of their bedroom. So that law has served to um, support the homophobia, which we find in Jamaica. One of the experiences I had with the law was when I received multiple death threats for the work that I'm doing to support LGBTI Jamaicans. I reported it to the police, and the police officer basically told me to get out of the station because he hates gays, and we make him sick. And when I reported him to his boss, his boss, by the way, was an assistant commissioner of police who had been sent from Britain to help professionalize the Jamaican police force. This gentleman said that the anti-sodomy law Well, the police officer's attitude was unfortunate, but it would not change until the law changes. So the reality is the law treats gays, even if they're not actually engaging in anything, um, any any intimacy, treats us as unapprehended criminals with no rights at all, not even the right to protection um, when we're violated. So... That is one of the reasons I chose to challenge it. We also challenge the law because it serves as a legal license to discriminate and harass gays, and it has driven gay men into hiding. 
away from HIV interventions. And so that's one of the reasons Jamaica has one of the highest HIV prevalence rates in the world um, among men who have sex with men, 33%. Um, this is higher than anything in the Western Hemisphere for men who have sex with men, and possibly the highest in the world. Okay, but there are many who feel that change legislation does not eradicate xenophobia. What are your thoughts on this, and what are some initiatives you would recommend to support diversity and inclusion along with legis legislative changes? So, um, I like a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. in response to those arguments. He said, the law may not change hearts, but it can restrain the heartless. The idea is that with the existence of the law, we cannot um, engage in some of the initiatives that we would like to do. For example, visibility campaigns for LGBT people. If we are considered unapprehended criminals, then being visible is risky. But we know that it is people getting to know LGBT people that reduces the level of fear and hostility. We know this because research done by um, a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, who's actually a Jamaican, Keon West, has proven that contact is the easiest way to undo homophobia. But how can people be visible if they're considered criminals? <laughs> you know, when police won't protect them, mm -hmm. when neighbors think that it is safe to, um, you know, they'll be protected by police if they kick gays out of their homes, when parents are told by their pastors that kids are a biblical abomination. So, no, nobody is deluded enough to think that the law will be a silver bullet, but it is certainly an important step to reduce the, um, the stigma and discrimination against gays and create an environment in which we can access legal recourse when we are discriminated against so that we can be visible, because it's visibility. And in that vein, one of the things that um, my organization, the Canadian HIV AIDS Legal Network, is doing is supporting Montego Bay Pride, for example, where we build community, we encourage LGBT people, we give them strategies for being visible. We, sh we, we also share with the wider Montego Bay community the reality of LGBT lives. Um, in addition to doing this, we're doing police LGBT sensitivity training so that we will um, normalize or help police to realize that LGBT people are citizens, regardless of whether you don't like us. We deserve protection. And if police can be sensitized to our humanity, then hopefully they'll offer protection and that will allow us to be visible and that will help to reduce the, uh, the level of hostility. We're also doing a lot of work with the churches. So um, the Anglican Church, for example, issued a statement last year which unequivocally condemns criminalization of same-gender people, um, same-gender same loving people. And um, this, this, is, this is an important fact which needs to be shared because there's the view that all churches support anti-gay laws. They don't. Um, Anglican Church was very important and instrumental in um, bringing about the anti-sodomy law because the fact is it was a law which reflected church teachings, but then it was also the Anglican Church which was instrumental in getting the law repealed in England 50 years ago. And so um, they're doing the same thing now. They're calling for the repeal. So 
you know, we're getting churches to speak out, progressive churches to speak out against criminalization and to speak out in support of LGBT people. And you see, for example, Father Sean Major Campbell in Jamaica, he washed the feet of lesbians on World mm-hmm. Human Rights Day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're supporting a shelter for homeless LGBT youth in Jamaica. Um, you know that right now some of these youth are living in sewers and they're selling sex to survive and they're being paid extra for condomless sex by um, men in Jamaica who are gay, but because of our homophobia, they have to have female partners as masks or cures for their homosexuality. And this just um, causes a lot of psychological and physical harm. So we're trying to get a shelter set up for these youth where they can be um, supported and rehabilitated. And I think a very important um, part of our work, which doesn't get a lot of notice, is we write reports to um, international agencies, to even parliamentary commissions in Jamaica, you know, they're reviewing the Sexual Offences Act right now, um, providing evidence, hard scientific evidence, as to why criminalization does not work and how it is harming people and how it's spreading HIV. And we're working with the diaspora groups because we find that the diaspora community is very powerful and the Jamaican diaspora in Toronto, for example, has a lot of clout back home. People don't know that Michael Lee Chin, who is a Jamaican-Canadian, who is a, you know, a gazillionaire, who <laughs> owns the National Commercial Bank, etc., he is the chair of the Jamaica um, Government Growth Council. So there's a lot of influence, and we are hoping that diaspora can share with um, their colleagues, their family, friends back home, that you know, decriminalization and respecting the rights of LGBT people is not as scary as the evangelicals would like to make them think. Um, and we've met with the Jamaican Canadian Association. Um, we're trying to get, you know, um, groups who are able to be visible, groups of LGBT people who are able to be visible in the diaspora, to be visible to their family and friends when they go home. So that that will help to demystify the homosexual um, um, reality their families and friends and reduce the level of hostility towards LGBT. So, no, the law is not the, um, the silver bullet, but it's a necessary first step because, um, and I think this is the final thing I'll say on that point, the reason my TV ad calling for respect for the rights of gays was not aired on Jamaican television was because the television station said if they showed it, it would be seeming to support an illegal activity. Um, And all it said was, respect me because I'm a gay man. And so this ad is an important part of the demystifying of the gay reality. You know, in the United States, you have Will and Grace, you have New Normal, you have all these these shows, Moonlight, etc., which show LGBT people as real people instead of these freaks and demons as churches portray us. We can't wish one ad in Jamaica because the television stations claim that gays are illegal. So getting rid of the law is important because it will allow other initiatives to be more successful, in my view. Okay, and you're once quoted as saying, I tried not to be gay by getting married. Tell our readers about this experience and how it impacted your life. Right, so um, like most Jamaicans, I (laughs) grew up um at a time when you know we thought that the only the 
sexuality that wasn't legitimate was heterosexuality. And we were taught by the church that you had to get married to a woman. Um, and uh, although I wrestled with my sexuality for many years, I eventually decided that um, I was going to get married to my best female friend who knew I was um, I was same-sex attracted. But we both believed, because the church told us, that all I needed was just to have regular straight sex and pray about it, and that would cure me, right? Um, and needless to say, it didn't work, and I ended up hurting my best female friend. And that's one of the reasons right now I'm campaigning so hard to um, end criminalization so that gay men can be their authentic selves and they won't end up doing, like some of, the, as I said, some of the men who are now, you know, paying these young boys for, for, for sex because they can't be themselves at home. Um, I really hope that we can get to a point in Jamaica where we just let people be their authentic selves. And this is part of my advocacy, because not only are gay men hurt by the denial of their rights, but women and children are also hurt. Uh, I have a son who I, I barely get to see, not because of any hostility on the part of his mother. We've worked through that. But the reality is we live apart now, you know, um, and that's painful. And I think if, well, I know that if this fixation on heterosexuality as being the only form of sexuality had not existed, I would certainly have been able to be my authentic self. She would have um, been able to find a sexual partner who could appreciate her for all she is, and I would have found a, a partner. And who knows? We we, um, we could have each gone on to have children through whatever means and be with these children through our entire lives. Okay, and tell us about the documentary, The Abominable Crime. You have had a screening globally, well, quite a few countries, and it, how does it aid in creating more awareness and by extension inclusion? Right. So the um, the documentary, which chronicles not so much the violations, but the humanity of being an LGBT Jamaican, has been very powerful. It shows my relationship with my husband and how my work um, and my activism has impacted on our relationship. And also, it shows uh, the story of a lesbian who had to flee Jamaica, a lesbian mother who had to flee Jamaica after being shot and leave her child behind. And then, um, you know, they were separated for four years and then reunited. So it focuses on the human aspect of being LGBT and Jamaican, rather than just the violations. Um, the victim narrative can get a little depressing and overdone. But what is what has been very impactful, because in addition to showing this film internationally, we have deliberately tried to show the film in Jamaica, around the island, um, you know, in small towns and in big towns and cities. Um, because as I've said, you know, the, the visibility is liberty. And until people can relate to us as humans, then it will be hard for them to not hate us. And we have had some very transformative discussions and, and um, you know, 
experiences when we take the film to places where people have only heard one narrative about gays that preached by their pastors and that they see this film and they realize that no all we want is just the right to love and have a family and we're not taking away their your right to have the same thing we just want it for ourselves and very touching moments um even some fundamentalists have said to us you know they never saw us like this before and they were shocked that this is what is happening and they've begun to rethink their um their positions and um so I'm more concerned or um, interested in how the movie helps and has effectively helped Jamaicans to see another side of the LGBT reality, the fact of our humanity. Because just like New Normal, Will and Grace, and all those other movies in the United States, even you know Maud back in the day, <laughs> those shows presented a human side in the United States to LGBT people. And that helped the, the American people to realize that their neighbors, their friends, their colleagues, their pastors, their lawyers, etc., are gay, and helped them to accept them. We don't have that opportunity in Jamaica because of the existence of the anti-sodomy law and the resistance of the TV stations to show an inclusive side of um, LGBT people. So this is this is how the movie fills that gap. Okay, and you mentioned contact and conversation basically being one of the most um, successful ways to change any form of xenophobic kind of thinking, but given that you've traveled so much on a more global scale, what would you like to see happening to further promote diversity and inclusion on every aspect? Well, you know, um, I can't do better than recommend exposure, visibility, um, and contact are the most powerful ways of addressing homophobia, um, Islamophobia, all of those things. P people need to be um, exposed, encouraged, incentivized even to to travel, to meet, to learn about. Um, Anti-discrimination legislation certainly helps. You know, um, legislation which requires persons to treat everybody with the same regard and respect as they would want to be treated. Th that kind of legislation and broad-based anti-discrimination legislation um, that evolves with time, you know, so that people begin to respect the diversity that we might not see now but may manifest later on in human conditions. That is what is the sin qua non, I think, of uh, a foundation for inclusion. It is an anti-discrimination legislation, but um, contact. People have to be encouraged and incentivized to, to meet, to learn about, to expose themselves to diverse and different cultures, faiths, orientations, whatever, um, so that they realize that we're all human. We all want the same things. Um, and us having them doesn't mean we'll take away from you. It just means that um, we'll all be retreated with the dignity we deserve. As and like somebody says, giving rights to someone else doesn't mean you have less rights. It's not pie. <laughs> you know, it's not, you're not going to be getting less pie. Um, all humans deserve these rights, and we all can get them. 
Okay, and tell us about Dwayne's House, the impact it has had, and how those who want to get involved can do so. So Dwayne's House um, has now been folded into the Larry Chang Center. Um, it, the Dwayne's House initiative was started to assist the homeless LGBT youth living in the sewers of Kingston. We were trying to set up a shelter in Kingston for these youngsters. Um, and we needed uh, quite a bit of money, $400,000 US to set up the shelter. We managed to raise um, 10%, which is what we were required to do. And our funder had said they would give us a difference um, if we managed to raise a 10%. But the, um, the, the funder, after we raised 10%, then said they weren't able to go through anymore with the money. So um, that set us back to square one. We then had some support from the former mayor of Kingston, who's going to try and help us to identify land. Um, but then the mayor lost her seat in the recent election. So again, you know, we're set back. Um, and at this point, the, 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 the groups on the ground that are working on this, including JFLAG, um, are trying to identify initiatives and funding sources. So if persons are interested in assisting, they can contact JFLAG, which now is the lead organization in trying to fund or to identify um, you know, resources to make this project happen. Okay. And three more questions before I let you go. What advice would you give to LGBT youth who suffer from discrimination both socially and legally? So if they are suffering from okay. um, discrimination, they should take care of themselves first. This you know, does not always mean reporting it, although sometimes it can. Um, if you need to have a social support network because it can feel very isolating. You're the only one. You aren't. Um, so I would say one um, way is to find a trusted confidant or um, counselor that you can share with and they can provide some social uh, psychological support. Uh, if you are able... I encourage people to report because reporting helps to build up the body of evidence to, to, to provide our, a platform for change, but it also is a very good way to make connections with support networks. So there are um, groups like JFLAG again, um, like Quality of Citizenship Jamaica, um, myself, you know, you can find me on Facebook, Maurice Tomlinson. Um, we can, if you report incident to us, Based on what you report, we can connect you with the right support. You know, maybe it's medical, maybe it's financial. Um, and certainly, if you experience legal discrimination, either in employment, housing, um, healthcare, otherwise, you should report it because there are avenues. There's, there are, there is redress, and um, we do have some counsel pro bono who are willing to assist. And the public defender of Jamaica is very, very interested in hearing the stories and the reports of persons who have been discriminated against because she is very interested in um, providing support, whether um, legal or otherwise, to 
persons who have faced discrimination of any kind. And she has said to me, and that is one of the reasons she's trying to get into my case to support the um, the human rights of LGBT people in Jamaica. Um, the challenge that I brought to the anti-sodomy law, she's trying to become a um, an interested party because she she thinks uh, quite rightly that as the public defender, she should be defending minorities such as LGBT people. So there are there are lots of avenues um, that people can pursue, but do what is safe for you. And if you're not so sure, you know, reach out to someone. And I'm more than happy to try and provide guidance if persons wish to look me up on Facebook um, as to where to go. Okay. And what is next for you? Well, right now, I have a challenge going on before the Jamaican Supreme Court to the Jamaican anti-sodomy law. And so we're waiting on a case management date. The process takes very long. Um, and I'm also appealing the decision to um, of the TV stations not to air an ad calling for respect for rights of gays. And that decision, we hope, will come down soon. The case was heard last year, February. And um, when it comes down, we might more than likely be appealing to the Privy Council because whoever loses, whether it's also the TV stations, I suspect they'll be appealed to the Privy Council. So there's legal challenges going forward. I'm also doing some police training. Um, I'll be in Barbados next week with my husband doing police training there, uh, police LGBT sensitivity training, um, trying to work with diaspora groups, bringing up some persons from Grenada to Toronto to meet with Canadian government officials and residents to help them identify how best to assist the LGBT liberation movement there. Um, you know, I, I like to tell people I'm LGBT human rights all the time. <laughs> you know, it, it, it never it never stops. Um, right. So more of the same of what I'm doing now, at least for the next um, few years. I I, I I would like to retire. I, I would earnestly like to retire from this, not because I'm old, but this kind of work does um, age you and drain you because it's, it can be very distressing to hear the reports of violations and to feel powerless. But before I can even think about doing that, I have to inspire a next crop of activists to take up the work. And um, I'm happy that we're doing this. One of the things we're doing is Montego Bay Pride this October. And out of that, we've managed to get some very young, bright LGBT activists who have committed to taking on the work. So, you know, I hope to encourage them and once they are sufficiently empowered, <laughs> um, I hope to be able to transition into something a little less stressful. Okay, and the last question I have for you before you go is, what do you hope your legacy will be? Inspiration. Um, I hope my legacy will be that I've inspired people to um, fight for liberation, just never accept um, the absence of rights. Just, just never accept it. Whether it's your parents, your pastor, you know, anybody that tries to deny your rights, stand up, agitate, claim your rights. Um, and it doesn't have to be for LGBT, for anything. And I hope that my legacy is inspiration. 
Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired.